Welcome to Mod Pod, the Museum of Dance podcast, where we explore why we dance. I'm your host, Jamie Ray Wright. Today, we're dealing with an American indigenous artist who has made quite a splash in the world of hip hop. They've danced with some of the best crews in America over the last 10 years, and currently, they're with Jabberwockies, the internationally acclaimed group in a residency in Las Vegas. Let me bring to you Brandon Roberts, B-Boy Bam. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourself? Oh, just fine. So what should I call you? Should I call you Brandon? Should I call you Bam? What, what would you like to be called? My mom calls me Brandon when I'm in trouble, so how about you call me Bam? All right, I'll call you Bam because you're not... <laughs> Well, one of the things that I do, I always do this because our audience really wants to know these kinds of things, is, you know, roots. Roots matter. Where you're from matters. How you came to where you are today matters. So I just want to uh, just find out a little more about, you know, where you're from, how you grew up, and how dance found its way into your life. Okay, simple enough. Again, I'll, I'll just start with, you know, my name. My name is Brandon Robert. I was born and raised in Lawrence, Kansas. So I'm a country boy. I'm 38 years old currently, and I've been dancing for, well, like I would say officially dancing for 23 years now. But I very first started dancing as, as early as I could remember, just, just a little kid being inspired by my older cousins, was early 90s, late 80s, being inspired by my older cousins who, who were into hip hop and, you know, were, were into New Jack Swing. Some of my earlier inspirations were Michael Jackson, Bobby Brown, Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer, some of those guys who were really known for their dancing. I just kind of gravitated towards it when I, when I saw it. And it's just, I guess it's just, natural uh, gift and ability that I have. So it wasn't a formal thing. It was something that you did around the house, around the family, around your friends. Yes, absolutely. I actually never stepped foot into a dance studio until I was I was well into my my 20s as far as learning new new dances and new styles. Yeah, I would say I'm definitely definitely a street kid. Everything I learned was from the streets and um, from from friends and, and older relatives that kind of showed me little things here and there. And was that the uh, normal thing in your part of the Lawrence campus that, you know, folks sort of dance as a uh, as a hobby and uh, not necessarily going through the a teacher with a large stick yelling at you as you try to. <laughs> uh, no, but that's a good question, actually, because in. And Lawrence, Lawrence is actually a small college town. It's probably about 30 minutes from Kansas City, uh, just west of Kansas City, home of the Jayhawks. So, and, and Haskell Indian Nations University, which I actually graduated from. But the, the town's actually pretty small and hip hop wasn't actually very big there. And I had to, to ask around to a lot of different people to kind of find the, the end of hip hop, and and then I started going from there. So, where were the places hip hop was done? So, I was younger. Once I started getting into hip hop, I was fourteen years old. Um, I mean, I've grew up in hip hop; it was always part of my life. But once I really started learning the culture and the foundations of all the elements, was around nineteen ninety nine. And around that time, I this was before, like you know. Like internet was big, no YouTube. This was like dial-up internet. So it was, I would, at the time, I would try to look up information. Um, it was kind of slow. And like I said, it was a university town. So eventually I went to a bookstore, Borders, and I was asking the, the clerk if they had books on um, breakdancing. And the guy was like, um, I think we do. And then he was like, we actually have an employee who's a break dancer. And that was my first time meeting uh, another B-boy that wasn't like one of my friends that who didn't know what they were doing. And they were actually established and they were an older college kid and, and they were good. And so he links me with with this person. His name was Dan, who actually became an artist for Echo, who was a graffiti artist. And then from there, he led me to, to more and more uh, B-boys. And then I kind of started learning my ways around hip hop from, from that interaction. So was Echo a, a local Kansas uh, graffiti artist? 
Uh, yes. Well, Dan was uh, a local graffiti artist and b-boy who actually started working for the, the brand um, Echo Limited. It was uh, uh, in the early 90s. Echo was a big street street clothes brand. And he actually got a job with them. And so I was that was always inspiring to me to see where hip hop could take you. Oh, so you, I'm, I'm showing my age and I'm showing the fact that I am a, a ballet boy. That's, <laughs> okay. that's the kind of b-boy I am. Uh, <laughs> E-C-K-O brand, correct? Yes, yes. Ah, okay. I, I remember seeing that logo around, not knowing exactly what it was, but uh, now I have something to dive into and uh, take a closer look at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely look into it. And then my, like I said, it was around 99 when I very first, my introduction to breaking was, I was... I'll back up a little bit. So I was naturally gifted with dance from creator. And I never really thought about this is what I want to do from a younger age. It was just something I was just naturally good at and never really thought about too much. It was kind of one of those things like I was good. When I was younger, we, we, my mom was a single mother of three. Um, my father's native Navajo Chippewa. My mother's German, Irish descendants. So I'm half and half. Um, my father wasn't really there too much. You know, he was in and out of the, the system, alcoholism, uh, drug addiction, in and out of prison. So when he was around, he he would teach me about, you know, my traditions and our culture and where I come from. I'm Navajo and Chippewa, as I said. So my mom really didn't. She raised me and my brother and sister, and we, we grew up you know, pretty poor. And so I never really danced so much, like I said, in like in a formal environment and never really thought that that's what I was going to do. I was a, I was a boy's boy. I love to play football and I played football from um, peewee all the way up until 99. So my freshman year of high school, junior high school, however you want to call it. So I always played football and I'm getting to, I'm trying, I'm going to get to the point here. I was playing football and I was at the age where I was 14, 15. At that age, you either you grow and you're you're big and strong or you kind of a late bloomer. And I was a late bloomer. So I was at football practice. Either a wide receiver or a uh, or a defensive back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to you're going to find your place. And I was pretty small and coach was trying to find a place for me because I was all heart and. I was really fast. I was good. But, you know, I kind of got to the age where these guys really started getting bigger and stronger. And I was a late bloomer. I broke my collarbone in practice and knocked the air out of me. And then I had this like at, at an early age, like a like an epiphany of like, oh, my gosh, like what am I going to do now? I was going to go to college. I was going to play football. I was going to do this and do that. Now I'm like having this realization of like, OK, I need to, to do something else. So I was walking home from school one day because I wasn't at football practice and I was, you know, kind of had my head low and I was just walking. And like I said, Lawrence wasn't very big for seeing B-boys or B-girls or hip hop around. I did see it from my my older cousins when I was younger, but I was walking home from school one day and I saw a B-boy and a B-girl and they had linoleum and they were on a corner in my little downtown Lawrence and they had a boombox and they had a little sign and they were traveling through Lawrence. They weren't from there. They were traveling through Lawrence trying to raise money to get to a competition. And they said their sign was like, need money for a competition. And I sat there and I watched from after school until it got dark. I watched them the whole time. And I got home and I walked home and it was like dark. And my mom was like, where where have you been? I've been worried. Da, 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 da. And I was just like, oh, I'm so sorry, mom. I was like, I, you wouldn't believe it, but I was walking home and I saw these breakdancers and from that moment, the moment I saw them, I knew instantly what I wanted to do. I wanted to do that. And I wanted to to not just do it, but I wanted to be excellent at it. I wanted to 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 live off of it. I wanted to it, I just wanted it to consume me. I, w- I was I was so in love instantly when I saw it and there was no turning back. And so I, I was self-taught mm-hmm. until I got to be around other people that were able to teach me things. And then it just grew from there. So breakdancing was your first entree into hip hop. I know that there's so many limbs in that family tree. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, 
breaking, locking, popping. I even say New Jack Swing was, was my early introduction to, to hip hop dance was like the early New Jack uh, Swing that you would see in early 90 hip hop videos. Like I'm saying, Vanilla Ice and Key Hammer, Bobby Brown. Uh, that was my first intro to like being like, oh, hip hop dance is amazing. But my first real connection to hip hop as a culture was was breaking and popping and locking. But it was the breaking aspect of it that I was drawn to because of the athleticism of it. Yeah, so very interesting that a uh, an art form that you know started in you know the boroughs of New York City made its way all the way into the Midwest where you are, huh? Oh, yes, absolutely. So I would, once I started really getting good at breaking, I started traveling to bigger cities, Chicago, Dallas, Denver, Minneapolis, St. Louis, like I'm saying, Kansas City was home. So those, that was the home base. So I would travel uh, road trips and I would go to these bigger cities and they would be surprised at how good I was. And they would ask me where I'm from. They're like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from Kansas. And they're like, Kansas? They have hip hop in Kansas? <laughs> I was like, no, we still ride horses and buggies and we don't have electricity. And they're like, for real? I'm like, no, <laughs> we have Kansas. I mean, we have hip hop. We're, we're, we're just as, you know, involved. Um, but it's, it wasn't as big. And I did have to go some of these bigger cities to, to be exposed to to some major talents. So uh, the community within Lawrence, Kansas, as far as uh, uh, hip hop, was it just one style? Was it just breaking? Was it, uh, did, were there various styles? Uh, I would, I would say primarily, again, there wasn't too many dancers that were there, but primarily they were B-boys and B-girls popping. And actually in Kansas City, like I said, it was only 30 minutes away. So Popping and locking was much bigger in Kansas City than B-Boys and Breaking were. We were actually, my crew that we we started in Lawrence, Kansas, with some of my friends from high school and then my, my friends from college, we started a crew called Bugging Out Crew. And with that, I would say we put Kansas on the map because we started traveling to these major cities and making a name for ourselves and winning competitions. Uh-huh. So, uh, B-Boy. Uh, I, I think some of our audience like to know what that actually means. Is, is B uh, exclusively breaking or does it have other connotations? I would say, yes, it's it's break, break boy, break girl. And the break comes from when the dance first started, when the, the DJ finally got two records and was able to make a loop. And normally when he made the loop, so it was, it was the break of the song. It was the break of the record. It was the instrumental breakdown. The DJ would have it and would would loop it with with two records, so that break would extend. It wouldn't be like a, a you know a ten second break. He would extend the the break longer and then add another beat on it. So the B boys or B girls, the break boys or break girls would wait for that particular break to start. And once that break started, that's when they would get down and start dancing. Hence, break boy or break girl. The media got a hold of it and they just called it break dancing. So but the technical term is B boy and B girl. Musically, we call it the bridge. You know, where it's a it's a it's between the uh, actual song and the uh, chorus. It's different than that, but it's just a different musical tone, a different mm -hmm. uh, uh, idea. And that that's the break that you're referring to. That would be yes, yes, that's exactly right. Interesting, interesting. I I never understood that uh, terminology and just how it got started. As far as the uh, as far as the terminology, now what, as a person who, who follows music and who is a you know I'm a musician in my own right, but that's another story. This is not about me; it's about you. Uh, <laughs> I, I see that, that there's a, a a a strange timing in getting into the actual break movement that is not exactly on the beat; it's somewhere in between beats. Is that something that's intentional, or how 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 do you how do you describe that? I'm sorry, ask the, explain or ask the question to me one more time so just so I can well, get, you know, give you a better answer. When, uh, when I see folks, you know, actually preparing to to go into their dance phrase, their dance, uh, well, yeah, their dance phrase, I notice that the, the preparation often is in between beats rather than on the downbeat or on the upbeat. And uh, I always wonder about the musicality of breakdancing when I watched it and uh, what was... Uh, what was the impetus behind that? Or is it something that is just a feel? Okay, good question. 
it is more of a feel. It is definitely uh, a feel. What we'll do, there's like an anticipation and it's almost like a timing. You, you feel it. As far as I go, like when I decide to dance and, and what we call a cipher, a cipher is a circle. So with breaking, there's, there's the cipher, which is like the freestyle. And then there's the competition, which, which is set up obviously and in, in this exchange back and forth between two people or a crew, however it needs to go. But the cipher or the, when let's say there's no competition and it's just a circle, that's the circle that we call the cipher. The cipher is, is a vibration. It's what we call a vibe from the vibration inside of it, inside the circle. Now I, me particularly, and everybody moves different. Um, every B-boy, B-girl will decide when to go out. I, I don't believe there's necessarily a particular part. I think it's more so feeling like, okay, I want to do this right now because I got something to say. Maybe it's an exchange of whoever went out last. But me particularly, I will have like people like shove me, like push me out into the circle because they want to see me dance. But I don't like that because I'm not ready to dance yet. I wait for the music to speak to me. I wait for the a particular part of the song that excites me, whether it's going to be the horns or the drums, whatever the break or whatever, whether it's vocals of a certain part of the song where I'm like, ooh, I like it when she sings like this. I'm going to go out and I'm going to dance this part. It's, it's, I think it's all feeling. For me, at least it is. So you speak of competitions. Uh- how, how are these competitions set up? Uh, are they, uh, you know, folks, uh, you know, rent a hall for this? Or are they done in specific places? Or are they done in clubs? And how, how do these competitions come about? Yes, all of the above. Uh, promoters will sometimes throw a dance competition to maybe promote the venue, uh, whatever the venue may be. Sometimes it's another dancer that wants to throw a competition, some, and it could be, it varies from a free event at a, a park. Uh, it could be at a, a hotel. It, it can be any kind of venue where there is an event fee and you have to pay to get in to spectate and an event fee to get in to participate in the competition. Sometimes there's prize monies from, you know, 50 bucks to up to $50,000. It depends on, you know, how big the competition is. Now competition, it started, I hear people older than me say, I used to break dance back in the, back in the eighties. We used to, you know, dance on cardboard or whatever. And now I don't think they realize how big the dance has become because it, it never really died out. Now it's at a, the dance of competition is at such a high level that it's on a world wide stage now and next year will be the first break dancing or b-boy b-girl competition in the olympics so now it's on the world stage where it's going to be competitive at the olympics and just this weekend they had i believe our u.s representatives um, compete and just this past weekend for who's going to represent the united states in the world olympics for the breaking competition do you see that as a uh, step forward do you think you think that bringing this into a sport is a good thing or do you think it's just exposure however it happens is a good thing i think it's both i think it's both whether or not it sticks around in the olympics is we'll we'll find out i believe this was the first year that you know they're going to see how it goes so either way, it made it to it made it there, and I think it's good for the dance because it's getting exposure. It doesn't have this this idea of like, oh, it's just a little street thing. It's the little dance that you do. I mean, I've had people tell me that, oh, you know that little your little dance. I'm like, whoa, what I do is not little. <laughs> it's 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 everything, and it's not just everything for me. There's a lot of people around the world that it it saves it's saving their life, and it's good for the dance because it's not only going to motivate young kids and give them a purpose and a goal in life, but also it helps, you know, people like that are getting a little older. Like I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I'm only 38, but you know, the next 10 years or so, eventually I'll probably start slowing down and then 
I'll be in the place to where I need to teach, to teach the next generation, to teach the youth on how to prep yourself to get to a competition or level at that. So it's, it's actually creating jobs and income for, for people, you know, that, that are trying to make it. And it's, it's hard to make it as a, as an artist in, in dance financially. So, you know, I think it's going to create more opportunities for us. Well, certainly it's found a uh, found audience among people who would not necessarily come to a, uh, a ballet performance or a contemporary performance, but they will go to a, uh, a hip hop performance. <laughs> yeah, it's it's high level. And I always tell people if they've never been, you got to check out one breaking competition in your life because it's unlike anything you've seen. It's it almost looks like fighting. It almost looks like they're 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 fighting, but they're 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 not. They're it's all love and respect, but the aggression is there, the the art is there, the that, 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 can be, that can be a little bit jarring when you when you see uh you know a competition of uh crumping or clowning or something like that. Yeah. And you you wonder, gee, are these folks gonna come to blows at this point? Uh <laughs> what, what what's gonna happen here? So especially for like I said, I'm an outsider, I'm an older guy. I I have not uh I don't know the culture as well as uh as maybe I should. It's and I'm a little embarrassed about that, so I apologize for uh, being uh, naive. But you're here to educate me, and here to educate our audience. Absolutely, it, it, it does. It does look very, very aggressive in some parts. At least some styles look very aggressive. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it goes all the way back to when the dance was very first created. We'll take it all the way back to the '70s, early '70s, even late '60s of New York City in 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 the boroughs and in the Bronx, it was, it was real tough back then. And the way it started was you had these younger kids who basically had next to nothing. And, you know, you got to make, you know, a lemon pie out of lemons, like whatever God gives you, you just got to find a way to, to, to make the most of it. So this dance was not even just dance, but I would say the whole culture was built upon actually violent background of what it was like in New York in those earlier days to survive a violence, a racism, a drug introduction to the city. And you had these kids that idolized their older brothers or people around the neighborhood, you know, who were into these, these bad criminal actions. These younger kids would see it, but they didn't necessarily want to, to get hurt. They didn't really want to fight. They didn't want to get shot or stabbed or go to jail or, or turn to, you know, alcohol or drugs. So what they did was they took this, this, they created this dance that was so unique to where it, it became their, their fists. It became their words, their movement. It, it's, it's how they were able to to represent their neighborhood or themselves without being violent. And at the end of the day, it was because we had this thing in common of trying to escape, you know, this oppression and wanting to do something better, but not, you know, be violent and, and, to try to create something out of nothing. So it really does have this like aggression to it because a lot of dancers come from struggle. And once you start expressing yourself with this dance, and I know I do it when I'm in competition or somebody calls me out and I've been known for it and I, <laughs> I pull back, but I take the dance so serious because it's personal to me. So if, even if a kid calls me out if a, a a girl or a woman calls me out or somebody calls me out to try to compete against me i don't really like to hold back because i'm not going to allow this person to like embarrass me or to to take away from my craft because i've worked so hard at it and it's i want to display it the best of my ability that i can so when i'm up there um showcasing or I'm performing or i'm at a competition it's it's real. It's real emotions. It's real time. 
And so some of these competitions, when they people go see it and then they see them, you know, really be in each other's face or you see them talking and then you see them perform at a high level. And then once the comp or once the the battle's over, it's all smiles and hugs and handshakes because it's a it's a mutual respect mutual respect between the other opponent because you know and understand that they're trying to protect their craft just as much as you are with yours yeah it's it, again it uh, can be very jarring for someone who is not in the uh, in the culture to witness this i've seen times when uh, you know orange with flame would come very very close to someone's face mm-hmm. and, you know and definitely just walking right up chest to chest Mm-hmm. at someone and neither one is backing down no one is backing up when they come that close and uh the person is not they're invading the space of the uh, person they're competing with yeah and you know there's rules to it too there there is no touching you know if you touch somebody you you get disqualified disqualified and you should because at the end of the day it is dance it is an art form we are expressing ourselves there is no reason to get violent it you know but you know People are passionate. People fight in sports. People people fight over everything. And it's because, again, it, it just goes back to how passionate you are for, for your art and how hard you work for it. So some people will get emotional, just like with anything. But most of the times, it's all love and it's all fun. And you just have to go in it and see it and experience it to understand it. Breaking, I mean, how, how much does it owe to the earlier versions? You know, things like, uh, you know... Boogaloo, blocking, popping, that sort of thing. That are all those things encapsulated in the art form itself. Yeah. So, so boogaloo is is basically just a a, a form of popping. Uh, locking has its own history and foundation. Popping has its own history and foundation, and breaking has its own history and foundation. And they are all considered, you know, uh, hip hop dance. So they're they're all definitely entangled the competitions are, are set up to div- not divide the dance but to like if if you're going to be a popper and this is a common misconception people say pop pop and lock oh i could pop and lock that's not a, a real dance pop and lock is not a dance you got popping and then you got locking with its own history and background and foundations with just like with um breaking and, and locking so there's competitions for for these different styles of dance, and even you you have like these these sub dances of hip hop, like house dancing or um, new style, which is basically you know like you said, crumping, um, just new forms of dance that you know because hip hop is so new that it's still evolving, uh, a whole new culture that is affecting the whole entire world within you think the it's 50, 50 years. Yes, 50 years of hip-hop. I mean, some, some of the folks, I mean, who are, I, I think the, the first people I remember, and this shows how old I am, I remember Tony Basel and the Lockers in the early 70s. I mean, do you think that that has, that that has helped to propel the art form or that it was, uh, you know, someone making money off of something that wasn't a part of them? Um, I'm not. I'm, who, who are you referring to? I'm referring to the Lockers. And oh, the lockers and Tony Basel being their choreographer, and yeah, like I'm saying, I think it's it's all good. It's it it's where it's where we came from. That's those are our roots, mm-hmm. and that's where the dance evolves from. You got to have the foundation, and that is the foundation. The the earlier steps and grooves is how we evolve the dance to where the dance is now. So regardless if somebody was getting paid for choreography or or going mainstream. If if it didn't, nobody would know about it. It wouldn't inspire others to to put their own touches or ideas on the dance to take it to another level. Uh, you know, she might be a uh, a two sided figure there. You know, because she she was a Hollywood choreographer. She was doing things in the mid '60s for Elvis Presley, doing entirely different stuff as a okay. choreographer. And you know, in the early '70s, she ended up you know. Hooking up with you know guys like Shabadoo, okay, with the, with the lockers, and I always wonder about if it's if it's appropriation or appreciation, or if this is really a part of who she was or is. Uh, I, I don't. 
it's that's a that's a a tough question. It, it's hard to really know somebody's angle and, and why they're they're doing that or want to become associated with uh, hip hop dance. Whether it's like I, I think it's just it's just amazing, and so, certain people are just going to be gravitated towards it because it's so unique and different. And it's been that way, and it's still that way. So I I think it it all kind of comes back to just like what's what's somebody's intentions for it if it's if it's to promote it in, in a good way or if it's to to what we call like style jack biting <laughs> some people might want to take their you know this because it's great and then turn around and try to make money off of it which isn't cool but you you see it here and there not everybody's intentions are good but I think, you know, if if the, the dance is getting some some love and some look and people are recognizing it, you know, I say kudos to that. Well, it definitely raised the profile of uh, of, of popping and locking at the time. You know, mm-hmm. they were all over the television between about 1970 and 1975. They were everywhere. And some mm-hmm. of them- yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the history with popping and locking is actually – um, west coast it, it was a style that came from the west coast mm-hmm. so it would make sense that in those earlier days it's getting put on movies and films on tv because it was next door it was a, it was in their backyard it was over at venice or wherever they were doing it and the east coast that's where breaking came from and then it wasn't until later until breaking kind of started making it um, a little known and then West Coast picked it up and then, you know, it just kind of started growing from there. So locking and popping has its its West Coast foundation and history. So it kind of makes sense that it, it got picked up for film and, and television and stuff in the earlier days. I can see that now. And thinking back, you know, to those days, uh, yeah, it, breakdancing was not a thing that I saw necessarily in Oakland or in San Francisco. <laughs> Uh, but it's something I saw, you know, on television and in uh, on film from East Coast cities, from uh, you know Philly and from uh, New York. Yeah, the the legendary crew, Rock City Crew, was one of the first in- international uh, breakdancing crews from New York, and then you know, and NYC Breakers, New York City Breakers, were also on television a lot. So those two crews were were really big for putting breaking on the map on a worldwide level. So you mentioned some, you know, some commercial pop artists who uh, influenced you who from within the world of uh, hip hop dance directly, who, who influenced you there? Oh, good question. So I'm a part of a crew, a legendary crew, uh, hip hop history. Actually the very first B-boy crew is called um, mighty Zulu Kings which spawned from the Zulu nation in the early seventies. So prior, prior to that, there, there were no, there was no such thing as uh, a breaking crew. They established that in the earlier days. So I'm a part of mighty Zulu Kings and the, the president is, his name is alien Ness. Uh, he comes from the Bronx uh, in New York city. He was a big inspiration to me from the way he, he he battles. It's it's little things. The way somebody carries themselves, the way somebody dressed, the way somebody talks and walks and moves and holds themselves. Alien Ness is uh, was a big inspiration to me um, growing up. And there are a bunch of like dancers, like you know, from certain cities that inspired me. There was never really true like like a true one person. It was a collective of people because everybody brought something, brings something different to the table. Ken Swift is another b-boy that I highly looked up to because his foundation was so broad and the way he moved just looked so cool. And I was like, man, if I can like emulate that and, and just look fresh like that, then that's how I want to be. So Ken Swift and Alien S were definitely two big hip-hop pioneers in the breaking community that inspired me. And you're part of the, or are you part of the uh, uh, Zulu Nation? Uh, I'm not part of the Zulu Nation. So the Zulu Kings and the Zulu Nation are separate. The Zulu Nation did help start the Zulu Kings. 
Zulu kings are the the dancers. We are specifically the um, the b boy, the breakers of it. Well, we're not really associated with the Zulu nation anymore. Um, it's that's you know here it's touchy subject for that. But we've kind of separated ourselves from the Zulu nation. We are mighty Zulu kings worldwide. We we go by MZK lifestyle. Just because of certain allegations or things that the Zulu nation is going through, we just wanted to separate ourselves from that. You know, we're strictly, you know, dancers and and, and breakers, and don't really have anything to do. With it's kind of a like I said again. There's two sides to every coin kind of thing, and I, yeah, uh, accusations of gang influence and the like. Yeah, there's there's just different things that we don't necessarily agree with. When I say we, uh, the mighty Zulu kings, don't necessarily agree with certain political viewpoints or certain things. Members did, certain members of the Zulu nation did, uh, or being accused of, and we just kind of just didn't want to associate ourselves with that. But the art form that they created is something that is uh, uh, worthy of being... Uh... Yes, absolutely. It's it's strong. It's been strong, and we're still going strong. We, we we're currently still recruiting new members that are competing on a on a world stage. We have members all over the world, and which is pretty cool. I've I've been to China, and I've met crew members I've never met simply just because I went over there. We got Zulu King members over here too, and the, you know everybody's so warm, welcoming. So it is a big, beautiful family and community that we have and share. So uh, tell me more about, you know, you said you uh, were in China. Tell me more about the international scene or how this has affected folks. I, I'm very surprised to see China as being a, a place. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I would honestly say a lot of these other countries, like, and it's kind of disappointing because I wish our government would get behind it and back us up more. But you have places like Japan or China or um, France. Yeah, I, I see France because there's there's such a uh, such an African presence in France. Yeah, there is. And they've uh, and since since the 1920s, the French have embraced black culture in a way that uh, other countries have not. So I'm not France doesn't surprise me, but some of these other yeah, countries, and they're so good too. But these other countries have a really good support system from their government and cities um, because they see it as something positive. Whereas like I'm living in Las Vegas right now and I used to do street shows, but the street hitters, what we were called, we we're called hitters. The street hitters would get in trouble or fine or even go to jail because the cops would come and shut it down or, or lock people up for, for dancing, dancing mm-hmm. on the streets, trying to make money. And then you have places that in Japan or China where they actually fund the b-boys and community center so they're living off of it like a like a nine to five like eight hours of breaking and that's why they're so good over there i believe they're like machines and and they're all very good but i again i just say i wish our government could see it and you know our local leaders could could help put money into that to support it because it's hard to try to make it as a dancer, because like I said, it's not easy to make it in this in this world as a as a dancer in Las Vegas. So I would really like to see that. Walk in Las Vegas and hit a dancer. So it, it, I'm surprised to see that that it's hard to make it a living there as a dancer. Oh yeah, well I mean, there's opportunities here. It's just dancers are dime a dozen. You just kind of have to be be the next. Next person up and ready to go. Vegas is really growing. It's entertainment capital of the world. And I'm, I'm really happy I'm here. And the reason why I am here is because in 2015, I came out to audition for the Jabberwockies. And, uh, you know, 400 some odd dancers, I made top 10 and been repping with them and performing. And that's how I was able to go to China. That was my first time going overseas was with Jabberwockies. And while I was over there, I was able to meet other other dancers and b-boys in shanghai and beijing and macau so opportunity is definitely here it's it's competition though because everybody there's like i'm saying it's there's so many good dancers everywhere it's like how do you stand out you're, you're going to get a lot of no's and you're going to get some yeses too so but some people are they they get too many no's and 
they they have to find a way to to do what they love to do. And if that's going out on the streets and flipping and entertaining the crowd and making them laugh and, and getting some cash right there, then then do it. I know I've done it and it's it's still beautiful. It's tough, especially when it's cold outside or hot outside. But we do what we do because we love to do it. Absolutely. You mentioned that you're of indigenous ancestry, of American indigenous ancestry. How yes. has that affected yes. your your dance practice or your your evolution within the dance world? Um, so like I said, I I my mother raised me, um my brother and sister. So I didn't grow up traditional. I didn't grow up learning my traditional ways and and practices and learning my culture. My father, like I said, was in and out of my life. I started becoming more curious to my background and my heritage and where I come from. Um, Like I said, I graduated from Haskell Indian Nations University, but at that time I was already still breaking. I was already dancing. So I always felt like there was this special thing that I had and I couldn't quite pinpoint it on like why I was feeling the way I was feeling when I was dancing. And I couldn't quite explain it to my friends or or people around me. And it just felt like this like extra like, like power or like extra like gift that I was tapping into. And so as I started learning more and more about my culture and the relationship for dance and what dance is and why we dance and also the way native dancers dance to the drum is very similar to what we call boom bap and hip hop. Boom, boom, ka, boom, boom, ka, boom, boom, ka. That boom, boom is very similar to the native drum. And I even look at it like the regalia and the way they dress and the cipher. It's the circle. They always dance in a circle, just like we do. It's, it's sacred geometry. And it all and it all ties in together, and it's not until I started learning the correlations between the two that there was definitely connection, and then that's where I was like, "Oh, that's what it is. This is gift from Creator. This is my gift." Um, you know, obviously I had to practice for it, but it comes to me naturally. When I was a little kid, I didn't have to practice; I just did, um, and it was it was innate. It was a, it was, it was a gift. It was, I'm saying it was natural. And so now when I, when I dance, I, I almost get like goosebumps. I, I get this feeling that's like, like I'm floating. I'm, I'm, I'm in between like when I'm dancing, I feel like I'm cloud nine. Um, I'm, I'm on top of like, I'm in between realities and nothing else matters it's it's like out of body. <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to explain, and and I'm understanding that it's it's divine. Um, it's 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 natural. You know, I started looking at uh, a, a baby when a baby is born, and, and they have like diapers, and they can't walk or anything, and they're sitting in like a little those things that like parents put their little kids in and they can like walk walk around and it ha- has like wheels or oh. they, they hang them from like a like a little yeah. a little bouncy doorway mm-hmm. when you play music when you play music you don't you don't teach a baby dance a baby doesn't know dance but when you play music a baby will naturally start bouncing up and down like no no reason why people i don't i don't think anybody knows why but it's just innate it's the when you hear music, it's a natural ability to do it. And so I think it's that that was my gift from creator. And now that like I'm I'm a an established dancer, I really am looking to to learn more and to teach more about the the correlation between um hip hop and, and native culture because there's there's such a big resemblance of the two. Well, all these things are related, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
that you tried it might be the one thing that can bring culture together is dancing oh yeah absolutely it's it's a i believe it's a universal language like man <laughs> we we can have a conversation without saying one word all through movement and quite literally because i danced for the jabberwockies and we don't we don't talk we don't use our we we don't talk we just wear a mask and gloves and our language is with our movement and that actually translated when i was in china because i couldn't speak their language however through my experiences of dancing in my my own body language i was able to have conversations with people that i didn't speak the same language with based off my movement and they were watching me and went oh i know what you want because i was demonstrating with my movements you know to what i was trying to say and you know you have no idea of the ethnic background of the dancers with Japanese because you can't see them yeah absolutely I, we're all different shades we're all different backgrounds we all speak different but you would never notice no because that's the beauty of it of jabberwockies is like they're all the timing's all the same but the movement to get to that timing is subtly different so it's the same but different and we're all moving as a fish and we're all moving as one and and i really like that because oftentimes when you see performers you kind of will will watch one person over the other regardless of whether it's just the way they look or whatever the case may be but it, that's not the case with java because you're forced to look at the whole picture and everybody has a unison not just one particular person so tell me a little bit about crew life I and mean, you, you dance with other dance crews before jabberwockies yeah uh, absolutely yeah absolutely what is that what's that uh experience like oh man i love it it's it's family it's it's family outside of family it's 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 a brotherhood it's a bond my very first crew i'll go all the way back to 1999 when i very first started dancing and these fellas were the foundation of, of my dance and i would love to give them a shout out and love um josh tyrone vincent james and fredo these were all my best friends and these were all the the fellas in in kansas that helped i would say you know make me who i am today and the crew my crew was called bugging out crew um one day my friend james was dancing and we were trying to figure out a name for us and he was dancing and then i was just like dang you're bugging out right now with your dancing and then it was just like clicked and i was like that's the name of our crew bugging out because we bug out when we dance and then so that's where i established my name um through competitions in my earlier years with bugging out crew and then from there uh i started establishing a name for myself in like i say in chicago and some of these bigger places and then from there um bigger crews started recognizing me and seeing you know my talents and gifts and that's where i met taekwon who is the vice president of mzk mighty zulu kings and i actually he was in a competition and he stepped out of the competition but needed to give his spot to somebody and the, and a bunch of his friends were like you should give your spot to bam give it to bam he's dope and he's like who's bam if he's going to take my spot he better be good and so i took his spot and i ended up winning the competition and he was vice president of mighty zulu kings and there were two judges that were also zulu king members and so once i won that competition they came up to me and approached me and asked me if i was interested in building with uh, mighty zulu kings in the ohio chapter and i was like yeah absolutely so from there that's where i i became i started going to ohio and i started going to competitions out there and as well as new york city and florida where these um level of competitions were much higher but i was still holding my own and so i became part of mighty zulu kings which you know i'm very proud of and even though we're worldwide and i i have a couple members here in las vegas we see each other but they're they're worldwide and we don't get to see each other all the time but when we do if years go by when we do see each other we pick right back up where we left off and we have a a, a group chat room with mighty zulu kings everybody you know chimes in and updates us and if i ever needed anything anybody in that message board would would gladly reach out to me and help me because we're 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 friends we're family and we're loyal to each other 
that crew still active? Yeah, Mighty Zulu Kings are are my first crew bugging out. Uh-huh. Above. Um, um Mighty Zulu Kings is very active. Um I was I would say we're we're still one of the best crews in the world, arguably. And um my first crew bugging out crew, there's a couple members like they're all older, you know, we're all older now and I'm the only one that really took dance. Um one of the other members did too that took dance professionally and decided to really, you know, try to make something with it. Some of the other members, you know, just kind of, it's just life, you know, they got jobs. And a couple of them became um, math professors at universities. And so they're really smart dudes, but it's all still love. And, and we pick right back up where we left off and uh, bugging out crew as, as long as I'm up and, and still representing, I'm always going to represent those guys as well. As well, as well as like my hometown of where I come from, because I, I travel to some of these big cities, but then I got to remember where I come from, my roots. As you said, it's I'm, I'm a country boy. I come from Kansas. You know, I, I do come from a place that wasn't exposed to a lot of these other things that people in bigger cities get to see or are exposed to. I had to seek it. I had to go out. I had to put in the work, the road hours, the you know, to, to make it because I knew that I'm coming from this small place. So I'm like, all right, if I'm coming from a small place, I got to do big things. So, and, and evolving there to Jabberwockies, which is probably, a, if you're an African person on the street, they would be the only crew that someone would really recognize who is not part of yeah. the part of the world. Uh, it must've been a, close to the pinnacle of your career to have uh, been able to be a part of that company. Oh, yes, absolutely. Ever since I was a kid, before I was even a dancer, I had a dream of being an entertainer. One of my, you know, somebody I really loved was Jim Carrey. As a kid watching his movies, I just love like he was being all these different characters. And he was a character in the way he would just like his face expressions or the way he would like his body language. And I just loved it. And I was like, man, I want to I want to do entertainment somehow, some way one day and it was you know i never when jabberwockies first came out i thought they were amazing i'm like oh that's so sick like they had this original thing and and they're representing hip-hop they're they're hip-hop to the fullest um so once i heard about auditions i had a friend living out here in las vegas i was living in albuquerque new mexico and I was kind of struggling at the time, trying to make it as a dancer and artist. I was literally about to go back home to Kansas to go to University of Kansas to get, you know, my bachelor's degree, go to school, do the nine to five, do that whole thing. Because I'm like, I, who am I kidding? Like, I can't, this is hard making it as a dancer. I'm making little chump change, struggling. I had a friend in Las Vegas was like, hey, Jabberwockies are having auditions. You should come out. I think you'll make it. And I, I, I came out and I auditioned. I was sitting front row of everybody and I was in the front of the class and I just showed up and showed out and just did my best. And it, it, it worked out. And it most definitely is a highlight of my career because it helped a dream come true, not a dream to come true of being a Jabberwocky, but it helped a dream come true of being on stage and entertaining people and inspiring people. I my mom was a big Elvis Presley fan. So and you know, I was a big James Brown fan and I know these dudes performed here in Las Vegas. And so when I'm I'm up there on stage performing in the limelight, the same places that, you know, Elvis Presley or James Brown or Michael Jackson performed, I'm on that end of the table. I'm not on I'm not in the the audience watching. I am on stage looking at the audience and it's a whole different perspective. I can't see the curtains behind me. I see their faces and it's just like a whole, it's priceless. It's priceless. Um, when I got selected to be Jabberwockies, one of the big reasons why they wanted to keep me was because of my character work. Like I'm saying it, uh, dancing, you, you could dime a dozen choreography. You could teach to anybody, but you can't really, you could teach character, but some people naturally have it. They just, like I'm saying, Jim Carrey naturally has this character and this thing about him that is just innate and nobody tells him what to do. He's just this person. And I th I believe I was able to become Jabberwockies or keep my position in Jabberwockies was because I got to do the audience participation part. I went out and grabbed people 
and pulled him up on stage while there's no music. And I'm up there in front of, I think the most people I've performed in front of is like 1500, 1700 people in China, our audience. And when I'm up there and it's, it's so quiet, you can hear a pin drop and I'm the maestro. I'm, I'm, I'm the conductor. I'm, I am the main source, like the lights on me. And, and when I'm in that moment, it's, it's, I, I, you know, I think creative because not, I know it's an opportunity. Not everybody's going to get to experience in their lifetime. And so I, you know, I really take those moments and I'm very proud of them. And I try to use those moments for, for the, to inspire the next, because that's, that's how I got there. So I was inspired. And so I just want to be living proof that you can come from this little small town or wherever you come from. If you just have the courage to just go out and, and believe in yourself to go out and do it and you'll make your dreams come true. I promise. So, I mean, where do you think the art form is going from here? Um, as you mean breaking, like, like, breaking uh, and all, all different, uh, branches on the, on the uh, hip hop tree. If you have any thoughts about, you know, 10 years from now, what was it going to look like? Oh man, I don't see it slowing down. I'll say that it's a, it's only growing. And I think the exposure of the Olympics is only going to get it, you know, even more. I, I think that after the Olympics, you're going to see more music videos or you're going to see more movies with breaking in it or hip hop dancers in it. It's, I think it's going to get a spark. Obviously I think the underground culture will always be there because it's authentic going to these smaller competitions, you know, not on a worldwide stage, but some of these smaller competitions, it's, it's more authentic. It's more organic. It's more like, um, um, intimate. It's more personal and that will never die. As far as it being on a, a, a bigger platform or media or TV, I think it'll, it'll, it'll grow, but I also think with everything, things kind of come in trends. I think it'll slow down you know and but i believe that this dance is is so unique not just dance but this culture of hip-hop is so unique and so beautiful and there's it's such a big community it's only going to grow so i would say the next 10 years you know i i i see more i see i hope to see more funding in communities for this to support this because it is a positive outlet um, for the youth and, you know, to help people struggling to, to have a word if you're without saying a word. <laughs> well, I think we can go on for many, many hours talking. Many hours. I have a thousand more questions, but we've uh, sort of at the end of our conversation for this first segment. I hope you'll be able to uh, talk to me again. Oh, absolutely. I would love to speak with you. It's, it's been an honor. And, and um, thank you for allowing me to share my story or where I come from and my thoughts and opinions on it, because it, it does mean a lot to me. It is important to me. And it is a tool like you can use to help benefit your life and to help benefit other people's lives from it. This dance has saved my life. Uh, I've seen it save others. And where I plan to take it and what I want to do with it is to inspire others take it to reservations, tell my story, teach the foundations, show the correlations between hip hop and, and native indigenous cultures and, and just let it grow and, and, and bloom and just put some fire behind it and let the next generation take off with it because that's where it's at is the, the youth, the, the next generation. They're going to take it to another level. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I hope to talk to you uh, again. I appreciate your time. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And I would look forward to doing this again. You can find me at um, IG Instagram at bboybam, B-B-O-Y-B-A-M-M, bboybam. Reach out to me, anybody. Uh, I look forward to building with everybody. And my email would be bam, spelled the same way, B-A-M-M-K, Roberts. R-O-B-E-R-T-S at gmail.com. Um, feel free to message me, inquire about anything, upcoming projects or anything you're interested in working on. And yeah, I look forward to building and growing and going. <laughs> well, you take care and good luck to you in the uh, growth of your art form and your art practice. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening today. ModPod, the International Amusement Dance Podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other discerning streaming services. Remember to subscribe and rate us. Give us five stars because we are fabulous. The International Amusement Dance is a nonprofit organization. We work to preserve and contextualize the universal art of dance for the greater public through innovative exhibitions, diverse educational programs, and accessible archival collections. Explore what moves you at museumdance.org. You can sign up here for emails, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram.